On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk about the normalization of problematic behavior. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today we are going to discuss the normalization of problematic or toxic behavior. But before we get to that, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There, you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. So today we are going to talk about the normalization of problematic behavior. So to start it all off, this definition is going to be coming from the book Out of the Fog by Dana Morningstar. So normalizing problematic behavior is what we do when we try to justify and minimize or normalize problematic behavior. And we try to convince ourselves that what our partner is doing is somehow justifiable or workable. And the first sign of problematic behavior is always confusion. And we are confused not only because we are being manipulated, but because on some level we know what we are experiencing is a problem, but we don't want to actually believe it. And when it comes to abusive relationships, the normalization of problematic behavior is meeting some sort of very strong need, either emotional or physical investment in staying. So if we are lonely or scared to be alone or we are overwhelmed at the thought of, let's say, being single or starting over, or you might have children with an abuser, this type of change can be very scary. And that means a lot of shakeup might be going on in your emotional world, in your financial world. And that is why there could be this real strong emotional attachment to staying and for uh, normalizing problematic behavior. So the normalization of problematic behavior refers to a process in which behaviors or attitudes that are harmful, abusive, or manipulative become accepted or even expected within a particular family, a relationship, and also in Uh, the workplace, and in society as well. And this can occur through a variety of mechanisms, and we're going to go through a bunch of them. I'm just going to mention some of them right now. Social influence, religion, cognitive dissonance, power dynamic, conditioning, cultural norms. And when it comes to relationships, abusers are often working to make their victims feel less sensitive to or more accepting of toxic or problematic behavior by minimizing, downplaying, or mocking any negative reaction to inappropriate acts. And that in turn gets a victim to normalize this bad behavior. This is the psychology of what is going on. And we've discussed in other episodes 
where an abuser tries to become the truth teller. They're really trying to become the truth teller. So everything that they're saying to you becomes the truth. So the abuser is really trying to get the victim to buy into their logic and to lower their standards of what they will accept as abuse or not abuse. And a victim will then learn to accept abuse as being normal and what they once believed to be unacceptable, wrong, or dangerous has now been normalized. Normalizing is achieved when the victim of abuse no longer questions the behavior as inappropriate and start to accept the abuser's view of things as fact. They accept their behaviors, their questionable behaviors as fact. So let's go through a variety of mechanisms that can help normalize problematic behaviors. So the first one on our list, and this one is a main category. We're going to have some subcategories underneath this one. Cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is when someone holds two or more conflicting uh, beliefs or attitudes. So a very simple way to look at this one right off the bat would be, you know, the person that I love, the person that the victim loves, they are, have been love bombing them for a very long time. They're doing all these amazing things for them. And then one day you start to get verbally abused and that is confusing. And you have these two conflicting beliefs that are going on. The one of this person who's done all of these loving things. And then this, at least at the first time they, this happens, this first incident, you have someone who's just really done this terrible thing, said these terrible things to me. And you're trying to figure out what's going on. You're confused. You have these two beliefs that are going on, this loving person and this really hateful, mean person. And in the process of trying to figure out what is going on, rationalization could happen, minimization could happen, blame shifting could happen, gaslighting could happen, and social comparison could happen. So let's go through rationalization. And this involves making excuses or justifications for the behavior in question. So when we rationalize, we reassure ourselves and give logical reasons for illogical occurrences. And it can make a bad situation seem tolerable or at least understandable. And rationalizing may protect you from the psychological damage that comes with labeling yourself as a victim. And some reasons why people might rationalize is they might not want to believe that someone they love is abusive. Being unfamiliar with the signs of abuse, they may not recognize that the situation that they're in is what is actually going on, that they don't see that this is abuse. Uh, they could be believing heavily in gender roles and that women should be subservient to men is one of those things. And they also might think it could be shameful to be labeled a victim and they'll rationalize, a victim may rationalize any way to, to not be seen in that way. 
we hear a lot on the show that there's a courting period, that there's love bombing going on, and things may be good for a very, very long time. So when an abusive situation happens, if there's devaluation going on, if you're physically abused, a lot of victims believe that things might be able to go back to the way things were at the beginning, and they rationalize things that way. And often an abuser follows an abusive episode or or a violent episode with apologies and affection, which confuses things a lot. So it kind of masks what is going on and they can rationalize they were good before, this bad thing happened, but look at how they came back and apologized. And until something becomes a pattern and you see it long term, it's really hard to discern what is actually going on. And over time, if you actually do bring up said event again after it has been rationalized, a victim might be told by their abuser that the incident wasn't as bad as uh, they remember it, and that's also confusing. So we'll, we'll be getting to the gaslighting of everything, but that can be a process of what might happen after a rationalization. Common rationalizations that a victim might say is, well, I'm not perfect either, My partner is now being sweet. Things are back to normal. My partner has been under a lot of stress at at work. This is why this is happening. I, I found myself reacting to the abuse, so I must have asked for it. My partner is possessive because they care about me. And that's a really interesting one where a victim is seeing the control as an actual form of care or they're rationalizing it as... Um, my partner is caring about me when the partner is really creating a prison around them of coercive control. Also under this subcategory for cognitive dissonance is after rationalization, there's minimization. And this tactic involves downplaying the severity of the behavior. For example, a person who is verbally abusive, they might say you're so sensitive or this isn't a big deal. If you are hit or physically abused, an abuser might say, I barely touched you. That wasn't anything. So those are some minimization techniques that an abuser might employ to, again, create a cognitive dissonance of these two things that are going on inside of you and the reality of the situation where you know abuse is happening and then the minimization of that uh, event And it's really hard to uh, understand. They're making it confusing. And then all of a sudden you have their voice in your head and and you start to self-minimize things as well. Another sub of cognitive dissonance is the shifting of responsibility for the problematic behavior. So that's just blaming others, blaming someone else. So they might say, an abuser might say, you got me mad and I had no other choice to yell at you or put you down or hit you. So the abuser is blaming their actions on you not taking responsibility and they're blaming that on you and trying to make you believe that. You know you're being abused and you were abused, but they're creating this cognitive dissonance and these two beliefs that are fighting against each other and it is confusing. So when the blame shifting really starts to work and you really start to believe that you are 
the cause of this behavior, that something that you did was the cause of them uh, abusing you, this really starts a path of normalizing you being uh, the cause of things when you're not. And, you know, this is the normalization of problematic and toxic behavior. Another popular way that they shift blame would be saying that they grew up with abuse and uh, something that you did triggered them that reminded them of that abuse. So all of a sudden they're normalizing this trauma response and blaming that trauma response for how they are acting and they are just, they're normalizing that behavior. So a victim at that point will look at that and then minimize and be able to rationalize what has just happened. So up next, we have gaslighting. And gaslighting is a form of manipulation in which a person is meant to question their own sanity, their memory, perception of events, the perception of their feelings, the perception of their own behaviors. So when it comes to the normalization of toxic behavior, when an abuser does something abusive and let's say the victim calls them out on it that they're like, I don't like how you treated me right there. That was abusive. An abuser might employ gaslighting and say, I think your reaction to this is an overreaction or you are too sensitive. So they're being gaslit right here and the person is attacking their response to being abused. And the response by the victim is an actual real response. It is a true response. They are not overreacting, and they are not too sensitive. They're just reacting to the abuse in the appropriate way. So what the abuser is trying to do is to minimize the actual abuse abuse that is going on. So if this keeps on happening over and over and over, eventually the victim might see themselves as being too sensitive. They might see themselves as being an overreactor. And in the future, Uh, If these abusive types of events do occur, it is possible that the victim won't even say anything anymore because they truly believe that they are overreacting or that they are too sensitive. And this is how a normalization of a toxic behavior can occur when an abuser employs uh, the gaslighting uh, technique. So next up on our list on the normalization of problematic or toxic behaviors and how they get normalized, we have religion. And we hear this a lot on the show. Religion can play a significant role in shaping people's attitudes and behaviors in relationships. Some religious teachings promote patriarchal gender roles that reinforce the idea of male dominance and female submission Women are expected to obey their husbands and men may use violence uh, to assert their authority and this becomes normalized toxic behavior in relationships. Also, when it comes to religious beliefs, 
you know, reproductive choices become a, a, a big thing. Lack of agency and body autonomy for the victim that is involved. We hear a lot of sexual coercion that they are forced to have sex. That is their duty to do something like that for their partner when it comes to religion and normalizing toxic or problematic behaviors. And another one on our list when it comes to the normalization of toxic and problematic behaviors is social influence. And a social influence could be a Disney movies are a huge social influence. Uh, romantic comedies are a big social influence. The whirlwind sweep you off your feet, romantic comedy, the normalization in a lot of these movies of stalking behavior as being seen as romantic. This is how a social influence can normalize problematic behaviors. And then on our list, we have cultural norms. And cultural norms has the acceptance of violence. It's a big cultural norm. Uh, capitalism in itself. Uh, when it comes to financial abuse, capitalism sees someone who makes money as being the person that should be admired, even though that the person who makes money might do a lot less work than the person who doesn't make as much money and how society isn't fair that way. And when you think about cultural norms and how housework and how being a maybe a stay-at-home mom isn't as appreciated as what people consider to be the breadwinner of the family. That's a cultural norm that kind of gets put in there. Misogyny is a cultural norm, and this is normalized behavior, normalized thought, normalized toxic thinking. Obviously, it's a patriarchal society that we are currently living in. Men hold greater power and authority over women. Uh, this can lead to men feeling entitled to control their partners and women feeling that they have a lot of pressure to submit to their partner's wishes. Uh, obviously, gender roles, traditional gender roles can also contribute to in abusive relationships. So an offshoot of cultural norms is power dynamics and that can contribute to economic inequality and exploitation and financial abuse. And when we're talking about the cultural norms of patriarchy and also religious norms and misogynistic thinking that you know the man is in charge and the woman is not, a lot of the times the man is taking control of the finances within the home. And whoever is in charge of that, the abuser that is in charge of the finance of the home, they are in charge. And a lot of the time the victim is kept in the dark about a lot of things when it comes to finances. And at this point, it, with this power dynamic, since they are in charge of everything, they're controlling what is doled out to you. Uh, if you have money to spend, they can track everything that is going on. And this becomes normalized behavior, this type of power dynamic. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, when it comes to work, an abuser in these situations can say, I'm the one that goes and makes money all day. I work hard and do this. I do all the work. You know, I should be in charge of this money. I am the one that is bringing it home. 
what do you do over here besides taking care of this child? I know what's right for our family. You know, they're the truth teller in this situation. And they're being like, this is how much money we have. This is how much you're getting. And you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea if they're paying the bills on time. You know, this power dynamic, it can really create this inequality and exploitation where someone who could be a stay-at-home mom is doing all of the work and it's uneven even know that the other person might be making this money you as the victim are working as hard or at harder way harder than them and it's just this power dynamic and specifically with the finances here that this inequality can really show and when it comes to finances this is one of the biggest reasons people stay in in abusive relationships because they don't think that they have anywhere to go They don't have any control over these situations. And this power dynamic has been normalized. And this is a normalized, problematic, and toxic uh, behavior that, that goes on. And the last thing we have on our list is conditioning. And that plays a big role in the normalization of problematic behavior. And when I think of conditioning, I think of uh, Pavlov's dog. And when you are an abuse victim and you have an abuser and that abuser is angry all the time, yelling, insults are being thrown. There could be physical abuse, just rage going on. After a while, you might really start to make yourself very small. You might've put up a fight once, but you don't do that any longer. You try to avoid outbursts as much as possible. You start to anticipate the needs before these outbursts might occur. You might try to make everything perfect so the abuser has no reason for any of these things to happen. You don't hear these outbursts. You don't get any of it. You'll be walking on eggshells. And this repeated exposure to these types of behaviors it really can create a learned response in you. You start to get this conditioned response. And then it's possible that if you do start doing all these things, you might get like a a reward in some case. It might be reinforced that you're doing all of these things for someone. You're anticipating everything. You're being perfect. You're tending to their every single need, but you're not tending to yourself. You're living in a world to avoid abuse. You're living in this world where you've normalized abuse and you've normalized this caretaking so it doesn't happen. And this conditioning is part of it. And, you know, conditioning plays a really big role in the normalization of problematic behavior. And, you know, the more that they can condition you, the more you're living in this behavior and the more it just seems like a normal everyday Uh, occurrence. And that is a really big uh, issue that so many people deal with. So I said there that conditioning was the last thing on the list, but that was the last thing I had on the list for relationships. And I know we talked about relationships first, but I thought it was best to end with childhood and childhood abuse and just kind of connecting it with conditioning. And when it comes to family stories in the history of our show, uh, I use the term twilight zone 
a, a lot, meaning when someone comes out of the childhood into like the real world, it's just a whole new world. And all of the toxic behavior that they've been dealing with their whole entire life has been normalized. And they realize that they've been living in this unhealthy way for a very long time. And it's really tough to navigate the new world. And you've just been conditioned to believe that this is real your whole entire life. So I just kind of want to go through... Uh, you know, the conditioning of a child and hopefully that, you know, resonates with a lot of people out there and validates what they had gone through. So now I'm going to list off a bunch of reasons why childhood victims normalize their abuse. And the first one on the list is they were born into it. And when you're born into it, that's all you no, you don't know anything about the life outside the family that you live in. And your initial environment to you is normal because you have nothing to compare it to. It's difficult to realize it's abuse because your parents are your role models. They are your truth tellers from a very young age. They don't have to do anything to like con you into being a truth teller. They are the person that you are looking for guidance uh, from the moment you are born. And as a child, you just go along with it. You know, there's no reason for you to question the parent in your life and you just take their word as the gospel. And your your family tells you what is and what isn't normal and your interactions in your life with them is everything that you base everything else off of at least for the beginning part of your life and that's because you don't interact with anyone really until you get to school kind of like full time or maybe your first time in like nursery school or like half day here or there to eventually maybe have a glimpse of what other people's lives might be like but still you're at a very young age when that happens and you've been interacting only with your family for a very long time before you start to interact with others. So besides being born into these situations, when you obviously are going to believe your parents, you know, your, your parents, and if they're abusive parents, they're normalizing abuse, just like in a relationship. And they are the truth tellers. So they might say things like, I'm hard on you, or I hit you or yell at you because I love you, or it's for your own good. Or they might do comparisons and say other parents are doing the same thing. They use tactics like gaslighting. They blame shift. They want the child to doubt themselves on whether it is really abuse. And these things are often used to make uh, childhood victims question their experiences and perceptions. And it makes them wonder whether their parent who's the abuser is really abusive. And just like in relationships, the belief systems in a family and uh, the generational trauma through religion or the cultural norms or the social influence, these, these beliefs get passed down from generation to generation, and that becomes a normalization of toxic and abusive behavior. And parents might say, you know, parents deserve respect because they are the parents, Children don't deserve respect because they're the children. They have to listen to us. Obedience makes children strong. 
uh, parents are always right. Uh, we're just trying to prepare you for life. These are some of the things that are kind of passed down from generation to generation, cultural norms here. You know, um, you know, the man is in charge, the woman is not. And they might say something like, how someone behaves is more important than how they feel. So there's minimization there of your feelings that is being passed on through generations, uh, through the culture of your family. And going forward, these are the beliefs that we start to uh, adopt, thus normalizing the toxic and problematic behavior. So one of the biggest things that we hear when it comes to a parent-child relationship and the normalization of a toxic behavior is the word ungrateful. And when parents are always telling their child that they are ungrateful for what they're doing them. So there, an abuse might be going on and you could be fighting back against it, but you're just ungrateful for all these other things that they are doing for you. The roof over your head, the food on the table. There are these kind of excuses that are being built in here as far as all these things that we're doing for you over here, you know, trump this abuse that is going on and for you questioning it we're going to call you ungrateful and that gets internalized that I actually might be ungrateful and I should just be happy for what I have and that sets up this long-term normalization of problematic behavior because as this person this child gets older They might feel that they should just be grateful for what their partner is giving them when it comes to romantic relationships. So when an abuse does happen, they have this thing, this problematic behavior in their mind, this normalization of it in their mind that they are an ungrateful person. And at a very young age, uh, abusive parents really like to hammer home that word ungrateful. Another one on our list of the normalization of problematic behavior is when uh, parental abusers use fear and shame to keep a child quiet. So abusive parents may use threats and punishments to make you fear the possible consequences of what might happen if you tell someone about your experiences at home or to ask other kids if they've had similar experiences. And a lot of abusive parents will really try to make it clear to the child or the victim in the situation that if they do talk about it, things will only be worse uh, after that happens. So all these tactics are meant to really keep you quiet and from speaking up because an abuser doesn't want you going outside of the house. They're trying to keep you in fear and shame so you don't say anything And this has consequences, obviously, when you're a child, but when you do uh, get older and are in uh, relationships as an adult, if you have not uh, dealt with these things, these things can still be inside you. And you might think that you are a drama queen or a crybaby, and it can really be a problematic behavior, a normalization of a problematic behavior as an adult, because this can also keep you Uh, these beliefs in a relationship uh, much longer uh, in abuse. 
and uh, next one on our list in the normalization of problematic behavior when you are a child is because there's a lot of dissociation going on and these things might be really painful to deal with when you are a child and you might not even know that abuse could be going on because it's so painful and you're disassociating. So disassociation may occur during childhood as a way for you know the victim to escape, to cope with the abuse that they're experiencing. And this can also really continue into adulthood where the victim continues to disassociate from the reality of the experience that they might be in and from their past experience as well. And this contributes to the normalization of a problematic and toxic behavior. And another one on our list for the normalization of toxic and problematic behavior is that the abuse doesn't seem like abuse when you are younger. And I say that because we, we've heard many times on our show the word parentification, and that is very hard to recognize. Some victims still have you know, trouble accepting that this is a form of abuse when a child is now in the role of being the parent and taking care of all of the parents' needs and really tending to the parent. You know, that is emotional abuse. A lot of people think it's, you know, it's an invisible abuse in a lot of ways to the outside world that this is going on, but also to the person that is experiencing this. And, you know, if a parent is passive aggressive and they do a lot of stonewalling or silent treatments where a child is trying to figure out you know, what's going on? Did I do something that was bad? And all of a sudden you think you've done something bad and you start to kind of chase the parent and do things as much as you can for them to get them back to talk to you. It's really uh, passive aggressive. Arguments may not have even happened. A lot of insinuation might be going on. It's hard to really understand that this is an abuse tactic. It's very passive aggressive. It is not healthy. And this is being normalized for a child that this is what love may be. It's a very toxic and problematic uh, behavior and has very harmful effects, uh, not just as a child, but going forward. This is what a child might uh, know what love is. They might do that behavior to someone else in the long run. They might take that on and then they also might accept it in relationships as well going forward. So that is the last thing I was going to discuss today about the normalization of problematic behavior. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope you found that this gave you a tiny bit of insight into what might be going on within your own relationship or your own family system and that how these behaviors uh, have been normalized over time. And, and I just want to say that these things are not your fault. And I hope we could validate what you've uh, gone through or are currently going through. And I hope this episode helps you out a lot. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com 
or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. Also at our website, we have our very own support group. So at the top of the page at NarcissistApocalypse.com, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that, it takes you to our very own safe social network where we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from other survivors just like you and to validate the experiences of other survivors just like you too. So if you need support, please do visit us at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page. Just press that support group button and we will see you there. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are going through. They have every phone number, email address, and website address for shelters and agencies No matter how big or small your town is, DomesticShelters.org has it there. It's a wonderful organization and it is free. And that is it for today's episode. So I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you have a good night.